Welcome to the Pet Boarding and Daycare Podcast, the show that shares the secrets to unleashing the next phase of your pet business growth. Get ready for expert insights, inspiring business owner stories, and pet care industry news right here on the Pet Boarding and Daycare Podcast in association with Barkley. Now here's your host, Dominic Hodgson. Well, hello, howdy, and welcome to my pooch-loving pals and pet business-owning friends from across the globe. I'm your host, Dom Hodgson. This is the Pet Boarding and Daycare Podcast, and boy, have we got a fun-filled show for you today. We're going to be talking to Amy Hillis from Social Pet Hotel about how she got into the pet care game. We're going to be talking about enrichment, the role that it's going to play in the future of pet care. We'll hear from Amy about how she introduced an enrichment-based daycare into her business and also Alison Jacobs from Scouts Honor who's done a similar thing. And we're also going to be talking to James Severs who is the Director of Operations at Barclay Productions about the upcoming Hershey Pet Boarding and Daycare Expo. But first, let's dive into some dog news. Dog news. Now, I have three crazy canine stories for you today, starting with, does your dog go crazy when certain TV programs come on? Do they start spinning around when you play certain tracks on your hi-fi system well one dog in inglewood california got very excited when metallica came to town she broke out of her owner's garden she crossed the road into the sophie stadium and according to pictures shared on social media she sat and watched an entire metallica concert nme magazine uh, said she enjoyed favorite songs such as Bach's Eterna, Master of Puppies, and The Mailman That Never Comes. Now, a funny story and a great story for you to share with your, your pet clients, uh, your dog-owning clients. And I think this is a, a good story to kind of highlight why you should have your pet microchipped, uh, why you should make sure that your dog's yard is um, safe and the dog is enclosed in there and with the upcoming holiday season um, we're going to have a lot of fireworks it's a great way to uh, condition your clients to make sure that they keep their dogs uh, safe on lead uh, because a lot of dogs tend to bolt and go missing and a lot of them come to an unfortunate end uh, when that happens so yeah a, a funny story a happy ending for Storm who apparently really enjoyed the Metallica show but a great a great example of how you can take something that's in the news do a bit of news jacking and turn it around to help you promote your uh, different pet services story number two takes us to Virginia uh, Burke, Virginia, where a family uh, took their dog home. Their son picked their dog up from the, the daycare, took him home, and uh, everyone thought that it was just a normal day. You know, they picked up the normal dog from daycare. However, the owner's cats were the ones to tell them that they'd actually picked up the wrong dog. <laughs> so apparently there was, a, there was a fight at home. The cats were obviously, they weren't bought into the fact that the the duplicitous dog had been brought home and and they in no uncertain terms let him know let the owners know that this dog um was the wrong dog uh the the owners they were 
the very understanding with the daycare apparently um there are two golden retrievers in the daycare that look exactly the same so this is a mistake that happens uh, fairly regularly in the daycare and the owners will make it sure are going to make sure from now on that they check the tongue because their dog has a specific birthmark on the tongue and uh you know they they were I thought they were great about it. They they weren't too upset with the daycare. Uh, they look really alike, and it's it's very very difficult. I think this shows the the great relationship that the daycare must have with the client, um, because it would be very easy for a situation like that to escalate, and you know, uh, people getting upset and threatening various things and lawsuits, etc. But in this case, you know, I think uh, the sensible option. <laughs> prevailed and uh, they went back retrieved the correct dog and they all lived happily ever after in the final story today uh, I read it was recently announced that a private jet company have introduced luxury flights for dogs from Dubai to the UK so Canine Jets is launching its inaugural flight on 26th of September this year. It's going to depart from Al Maktoum International Airport in Dubai and land at a luxury airport in Farnborough in the UK. Now, I talk a lot about uh, Disneyfying your pet business and uh, creating services that affluent dog owners are going to want to buy for their uh, precious pooches. And this is, you know, a, a fairly extreme example, but I think this kind of thing will become more and more common where dog owners, affluent dog owners, are expecting the same kinds of privileges, uh, the same kinds of luxuries, uh, the same kinds of experiences as, as they, the affluent dog owner, are able to enjoy. And if you are a pet business owner who isn't thinking about um, what kind of... Uh, affluent attractive luxury pet services you can add on to your business then i think you leave a lot of money on the table you're missing out especially with uh, all of the the cost of living crisis high inflation rising staffing costs that's going on now marketing your business to these affluent dog owners is a way to protect your pet business because those are the people that are going to be much uh, less affected by uh, you know, rising costs, all this kind of thing. They have a lot more discretionary income. And yeah, this is something that I did with my own business. It's something that I do with my clients. It's something we'll be talking about in upcoming episodes of the podcast as well. Um, but yeah, if you aren't thinking about how you can offer a luxury service, it doesn't have to be a, you know, a jet, <laughs> a jet transportation service. Um, but you could think about how can we um, make a more luxurious version of uh the daycare or our kennel services or our pickup and drop off uh options that we have how can we add a luxury element to this uh that we can obviously charge more money to and it's going to be more appealing to affluent dog owners who are prepared to spend more on their pampered precious four-legged friends one of the things i always recommend a pet business owner does when they are refining their marketing message is to tell their origin story pet business owners often they act too professional in their marketing they talk about their certifications uh, they talk about the, how wonderful the grass is in their facility uh, they talk about uh, all of the different uh, options that uh, the dog owner can uh, invest in um, but often they fail to tell the owner 
who they are and why they do what they do. And this is really important because it people buy people. And uh, one of the features that we're introducing to this show is a shaggy doggy origin story. <laughs> shaggy doggy pet business origin story. And I recently caught up with Amy Hillis, uh, who is the chief strategy officer of Social Pet Hotel in North Carolina, which she runs alongside her husband, Bill. And Amy kindly shared with me her pet business origin story. Check it out. I never had a dog growing up. Uh, my parents wouldn't let me. Me neither. Me neither. So, okay. so it's so funny. I tell my parents and I say, you know, this is an overreaction to a repressed childhood. This is what we have here with this old dog daycare thing. And so, you know, I never had a dog growing up. I wanted one so badly. I had rabbits. Uh, when I, you know, went into college, we had, you know, we snuck little hamsters and things in the dorms and all that. We weren't allowed to have pets, but, you know, we figured out a way anyway. Um, but I went to Ohio University uh, for my bachelor's degree, and my degree is actually in middle childhood education. And so when I was growing up, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I thought, well, I can be a teacher. You know, I've seen that my whole life being in school. I'm like, I could do that. So um, I had concentrations in English and math. And then when I graduated college, I went and, you know, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and I got a teaching job and I taught middle school. I taught sixth grade and seventh grade. And I honestly loved it. You know, the, the kids were great. And people say this about middle school, like, oh my God, how could you teach middle schoolers? Like, they're just, oh, they're crazy. And I always had fun with them. It was a good age. You can joke around with them and they're still open to learning. And so, you know, we had a good time. And then when I was uh, teaching, I also went back and got my master's degree and I have a master's in school counseling. And so when I finished that degree, I, I still, I didn't think I wanted to be a school counselor and I, you know, I continued on with teaching and then I moved into a different position. It was called the academic facilitator. And my role there was really linking the school district with the school in terms of curriculum, testing, making sure we were following state standards, working with the teachers to make sure they had the tools they needed to uh, to work with their kids. And during that time, I really started to understand the need to individualize learning for children. And so in the educational world, it's called differentiating instruction. Yeah. And so we would, you know, differentiate. Hey, I'm, I'm, married, I'm married to a former primary school teacher. I'm familiar with some of these. No, things. you know all about it then. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't need to tell you, but yeah. So, you know, we would differentiate the instruction to meet the needs of the individual students. And I would have students at the honors level. I would have students at the um, students with disabilities, students who were um, ESL, English was their second language. And so, you know, we really had to do a lot to make sure we were meeting the individual needs of all of these different types of children. And I did that for about nine years. And there was just something something was just missing. It was just off. And I thought I had, I was at one of the best schools in the state. I mean, the school, my boss, my principal, the other teachers, they were fantastic. Like I really could not have asked for anything more. And I just thought if I'm not happy here, I don't know where I'm going to be happy. I mean, I really couldn't ask for more in terms of the, the education environment. And so during that time, my husband, Bill, he, um, he and I were married. We got married in 2008, right after college. 
And um, he was also going back to, uh, to school and he got his MBA. And as part of his MBA program, they had to actually develop a business plan. They had to work with a group and develop a business plan. And um, the initial, initial idea for the business plan was a dog daycare in the bottom level of a high-rise apartment building in Uptown Charlotte. And it sounded great in theory, but you know, with zoning and noise and all of those not so fun things that you've got to think about when you start a business, that it just wasn't going to work. And so they abandoned the idea for the business plan and they did something else. And Bill actually continued to develop the business plan. And this was in right around 2012 that he was doing this. And so he and I were talking about it and he's like, you know, I really think this could be something. There's really a need for, for high quality pet care in the city and Charlotte at that time. And now it's just exploding with growth. There are people moving in. I mean, I moved here from Ohio. He moved from Tennessee. So, you know, there's people just moving in constantly and the city is exploding. And so he really took this idea and he developed it into a full business plan. And in 2014, when we were really getting serious about it, you know, I, I remember I came home from work and I'm standing in my driveway and I'm like, maybe I'll be the one to, to kind of open this. So I kind of hijacked his idea a little bit. <laughs> but you can do that when you're married, right? It's okay. It's a wife's privileges, definitely. I yeah. mean, right. That's what marriage is for. So, you know, we were, you know, we were talking and I wasn't, you know, completely satisfied in my career. And I said, you know, what if when we open this, instead of you being the one to, to really, you know, take ownership over this and open it up, what if, what if I'm the one who does it? What if I leave teaching and I, I'm the one who's there every day and I'm the one who's really getting it off the ground. And that made sense for a couple of reasons. You know, I was looking for a career change. And then I also financially, I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> financially, it made sense. A teacher's salary is that one that you can typically support a family on very easily. And so in 2014, that's when we were able to open Social Pet Pineville. And so after about nine months or so, then that's when Bill was able to come on board. And, um, you know, we, we got to the point where it was, you know, even though money was tight as a startup, um, you know, we're a family business, we're still a family business, we don't have any outside capital or anything like that. It got to the point where we were starting to lose more by not having him there full time. So it made sense to give up his salary and to bring him on board full time. And so that's kind of the story of, of how we got to where we are today, you know, in with PAC and just in this industry in general, we talk a lot about how it's such an easy to enter industry and there's just such a low barrier to entry and that's got its pros and it's got its cons as well. You know, we, I on paper certainly was not qualified to take care of dogs. If we're being honest, you know, I, I had a pet at that point. I had, I got my first dog when I was 22 years old. And, but other than that, I mean, other than just learning and, and working and just never giving up really just always trying to be better. That's how we got to, to where we are today. You know, we just continued growing on that. And so that's really, that's kind of the story, the origin story of how we got to, to where we are today, at least in terms of Pineville. Now, one of the things that Amy is really into and her whole team are into at the social pet hotel is enrichment 
and providing an enriching experience for the dogs. I thought it would be interesting to deep dive a little bit more into why Amy had done this in her facility and the effect that it had had on the dogs and how they had sold that to the clients. Yeah, that's such a great question. We realized pretty early on that our traditional daycare model was not going to work. We have a huge space in Pineville, a huge uh, yard space in Pineville for the dogs to play. And it was about a year and a half in or so, maybe a year in, we were noticing that dogs were getting in fights. There were, there were too many fights and bites happening. And I remember, you know, a figure that we've heard often is that there should be no more than two fights or bites in a year. And we were, we were exceeding that statistic and not in a good way. And so we were pulling dogs out, uh, putting them just kind of in a one-on-one -on -one setting. And these were dogs that they were great. They weren't aggressive. They weren't reactive. They just, they didn't like being in a large group setting. And Bill and I, you know, around that time we were, you know, looking to just do some uh, facility improvements and to either make more play yards or, or do something. And we were trying to figure out what to do. And we were talking about making some more one-on-one -on -one, like individual runs for the dogs. And we were both like, it just doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like the answer. Like that fixes the current issue, but what are we going to do? Have, you know, all these one-on-one -on -one spaces for dogs, like that's not going to work. And so we went to uh, the pet boarding and daycare expo. Actually, it was in Burbank at that time. And we heard the dog guru speak and they were talking about this concept of enrichment daycare and they called it daycare 2.0 at that time and enrichment daycare. And we heard them speak and we were like, oh my God, that's it. That's what we need to do. We need to have smaller groups. We need to be more intentional with their grouping. And we took that model. We visited another facility in the Southeast who was operating with that model too. And so we, I mean, we just kind of crammed in as much knowledge as we possibly could. And we created the, you know, the operational plan and the operational strategy for what enrichment daycare would look like. And we were really excited. And then when we shared it with our team, they were like, this is the worst idea we've ever heard. Like, what do you mean they're not going to play all day? And we're like, no, like they, you know, we're explaining all the, you know, the research and the statistics behind, you know, all day play versus rotating between play and rest and all the benefits and all that. And we had people quit. We had people thought we were stupid. And we we're like, well, this is one of those things as a business owner, you know, sometimes where you see it, but other people don't, you just, you have to just go with it. And so we did, we went with it. And so we, we did it sort of as like a, a trial for a lot of dogs. Like we started taking dogs from the large group setting and talking to their parents and saying, Hey, you know, they're not, you know, this is what we're seeing in large group. And it's not that they're bad dogs. We're just saying, you know, they're, they're reacting or they're, you know, they're too sensitive to the large group environment, or they're hiding behind the trash can, or they're, you know, trying to climb out of the fence or, you know, whatever they're doing, because they're not, excited about being in that large group. And we say, we're going to just, you know, make a small group with them. And if we like it, if you like it, if your dog is still tired at the end of the day, then we're going to slide you over into our new daycare model enrichment daycare. 
And, you know, we had a lot better phrasing for that. I think it was, you know, you're, you're a great candidate for our enrichment program. Oh. <laughs> you know, we had one of those. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Your dog is just way too smart for the large group setting. So we're going to do enrichment. Like, you know, you, which is true. I mean, we they picked, were. We picked you out of all the clients. We picked you. <laughs> you have been chosen. Yes. Congratulations. So we, we started very, very gradually. And we started it, I think in 2016, we had it going when we opened the Charlotte location, which was in 2007. So it was around 16 or 17 that we started it. And it was just very gradual. And we would just do, you know, as we saw dogs not really being successful in that large group environment, we pulled them over to enrichment. Um, from a client perspective, we didn't want it to feel like the dog was being punished or that the client was being punished because it did cost more to do enrichment compared to the traditional classic play. And so we would do what we could to kind of, you know, soften that cost. So if they already had a current daycare package with the all day play, then we would allow them to finish that package out in enrichment before purchasing a new package. So, you know, we did some things like that to make the transition very easy, but it eventually got to the point where the large group was just as big as the enrichment group. Mm-hmm. We finished that transition in wasn't that long ago. I think it was in 2021 is when we finally finished that transition. And so I think it was in uh, like early 2021 when we decided that no new dogs would do the classic daycare model. Any new client would just be automatically placed into the enrichment program because we knew that's what was best. And then it was soon after that where we were just fully enrichment. And so that was that was a huge goal of ours when we first started it. I remember telling one of our managers at the time, like, wow, wouldn't it be so cool if this was just an enrichment facility? And it seemed just so far-fetched, but, you know, it took a while, but we got there and I can't imagine operating any other way now. It's truly been the best thing that we've done. And it's what has allowed us to be different and to set ourselves apart in this super crowded market that we have here in Charlotte. I could totally identify with what Amy said about taking into consideration the needs of each individual dog, as this is something I experienced with my own dog adventure business here in the UK back in 2011. And one of the things that caused me to go on a dog training journey and start offering a more uh, structured enriching experience for the dogs was the fact that I, I knew I wanted to provide a better service. Ultimately, this enabled me to charge more money for the service as well. And, and, and just like Amy, it helped to differentiate my offering from what everybody else was doing. Uh, but I, I find it very interesting to, to see how people have arrived at the the enrichment experiences that they are offering, which are becoming way more popular. And I think in the future, this is going to be something that uh, almost everyone's going to do. It's going to be a race to see who can offer the most enriching, the most structured, the most school-like uh, experience for dogs in their daycare facility. Uh, someone else who went on a similar journey, uh, similar but slightly different journey uh, to start offering their enrichment experience is Alison Jacobs from Scouts Honor. Uh, let's hear a little bit about how Alison came to offer their enrichment experiences at their facility. We offer three different programs, which is the traditional style of day camp, which is just all day in group play, but they do different group enrichment activities with our camp counselors. Or uh, we have hybrid camp and solo camp, which a hybrid camp is a mixture of group play and 
one-on-one enrichment. Solo camp mm-hmm. is just one-on-one enrichments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool, cool. And the, carry on, sorry. Oh yeah, the the business idea came uh, to our minds because Kristen and I's dogs had both grown out of traditional daycare. They just got mm-hmm. to the certain age where they were getting fussy in group play because they were bored. They didn't have the mental stimulation uh, that they needed. And so it really came to be figuring out what our dogs liked to do and implementing that in a larger setting. So our my dogs love agility. So do Kristen's. Every time we do an agility class, Kristen and our, my, it's so embarrassing because our dogs just scream the entire time because they just want to get on the agility. <laughs> <laughs> very, very humiliating, <laughs> um, but they love it. And uh, swimming. Um, so we have like little splash pools and stuff. And I got a kiddie pool when I was doing Rover and filled it with a bunch of tennis balls and my dogs just went absolutely nuts. So that's something that we do uh, there. To, dogs just love playing in a big pool of balls. It's so fun mm. for them. <laughs> and who wouldn't find a big pool of balls really fun? And when you add in splash pools and other water games into the the equation, yeah, you can see why the dogs are going to enjoy this. Now, Alison went on to tell me how the idea to introduce a hybrid daycare program came from a super smart staff member. At first, we started with just two programs, our regular daycare program where they would do different yard activities like group training sits or do gate work or playing with bubbles. And we started with that and our solo camp program, which was only enrichments all day. And then at some point I had a manager say, hey, what if we created a program with both of these options? Because we have a lot of dogs experiencing fatigue halfway through the day in group play, which is totally normal. And that that is now called hybrid camp. Um, and that is our most popular program. So I have uh, just two really fantastic managers um, that w- worked at my competitors before. Uh, and I, I feel so lucky to have them, but we have done uh, a lot of management coaching. We're doing more of that now. And working on, they're always, they're not scared to give us ideas on how to improve the business. And that is really, really important to have because I'm not there every single day. I work behind the computer now. I didn't used to, but the first two years I I was mostly there until really this past winter. So their input on how to improve day-to-day operations has really helped transform us into the business that we are. And this is one of the uh, oldest <laughs> pet business or general business growth tricks in the book is to have a suggestion box for your, for your staff members to help them input on areas that you can uh, improve the business. Fantastic to see uh, how Alison, you know, it's a great reflection of what she's got going on there uh, with the team at Scouts Honor that, uh, that, that this, this idea came from the team. Uh, now, it's one thing to change your services because you want to offer a safer, more responsible service for the dogs. But how do you then sell that service to the clients? <laughs> because they are the ones that are spending the money. And there's a certain amount of education that you need to do in order to get them on board so that they don't just bail and go to use any other daycare. We have to, we know the benefits. We know that there are huge benefits for the dogs. It's going to make the entire facility safer. How do we sell that service to the clients? Well, I asked Alison about that too. 
we were actually just talking about this in our last leadership meeting. It used to be so hard to convince a client that day camp wasn't the best fit for their dog and that hybrid camp was a better fit based off of the dog's breed or the dog's temperament. And now it's just so much easier because we've been doing it for so long. The program has been around for two years. People know what it is and they know what to expect. But at the beginning, it was difficult to explain to clients, your, your dog's not super happy in group play all day. Uh, our big, big pillars of our business are honesty and transparency. And we're able to give that to clients through report cards. If you look at our Google reviews, the top mentioned word is report card. So every single day, every dog that's there, gets a digital report card created by our camp counselors that says how they did in the day. And if, if they're having fun, are they reactive at the gate? Did they snap at another dog? Which activities they enjoyed the best? And those report cards help us communicate with the client how their dog is enjoying what their, or their experience with us. Mm-hmm. So after doing that, being honest in the report cards, we have, it has become a lot easier to sell hybrid camp than it was before. But the concept of enrichment was very, very new. Um, yeah. I still, I'm not really sure if there are any other day camps mm. in Indiana that are doing what, mm. what we do. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. There's a, there's definitely a period of or a continuous really education that you have to do with the clients, isn't it? In order to kind of convert them to your way of doing things. And I can, I can see a lot of parallels actually between my own business just very quickly. I started my dog adventure business in 2011 and I, I was classic. Uh, like I was better at marketing than I was at handling the dogs, you know? So I, I called it adventures and we were the first adventure company in the UK and it was all, all different. But I, I, in truth be told, I didn't have very great control of the dogs that I had because I didn't have enough dog knowledge. So I went on this kind of dog training journey. And this led me to uh, realize that like I, I should be providing more of the, the entertainment and the stimulation for the dogs rather than them just kind of getting the fun from each other, you know, but it certainly would make the walk a lot safer. This was way back in 2012, this when I had my like road to Damascus moment. And um, and, and so I for the next two years, I kind of tweaked and tested like lots of different ways of, of interacting with the dogs and scent games and wild agility and all this enrichment stuff, you know, that's like re- really coming to the forefront now. And, and, and I was like really happy with what I'd managed to create. It was like a different way of doing things, I thought, and a much safer way of doing things. Better for me, better for the dogs, better for the owners, you know, because the dogs were ultimately a lot better behaved. But I, when I was presenting the service, this is the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> when I was presenting the service to the clients, it was like, well, you know, I, I, we just we don't do what other dog walkers do necessarily, you know, and I'm not saying theirs is bad or whatever. But like we don't just take a dog to a field and let them, you know, go crazy like chicky cheese for like an hour and then take them home you know we but yeah they're with each other and they're you know they're socializing and all a bit but like we're leading the activities and 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 that was like it was it was a difficult sell at first but when the clients were bought into it like they loved it you know like they loved that we were doing things differently so I think you do have that kind of conversion um problem or conversion challenge but then once you've got them they're they're like your staunchest um 
raving fans, aren't they then, you know, because then they, you know, your clients will be going to their workplaces every day, you know, and, and reading the report cards and, and telling their friends and family and stuff like, oh, you know, little Bonzo, he's done this activity today, or he's done that, and he's, he's doing this. And it's, it's different, you know, it's like they're, yeah, I think, I think once you've got them, and you've got them bought into your kind of way of doing things, they're, it's like, you, it protects the business as well, you know, because they don't, they, where, where else are they going to go? You know, <laughs> like where, where are they going to go to get the same kind of thing as what you're offering at Scouts on? They can't get that anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You, you nailed it on the head. That's, that's exactly it. Thanks to Alison and Amy for that enriching, enlightening uh, interview. Uh, I genuinely think that enrichment activities are going to form a, a huge part of what we offer as as pet care providers both boarding and kennel resort facilities uh one of the things one of the kind of really cool things about attending an expo is the chance you get to see enrichment equipment firsthand often there will be uh, suppliers and vendors who are there uh showing off their different their different equipment that you can use and it's also it's also a great opportunity to speak to other pet business owners who are already doing this in their facility, who are already who've already implemented this. Um, that's kind of a good segue for me to remind you, if you haven't already, that you should grab your ticket for the upcoming pet boarding and daycare expo in Hershey. Uh, I'm flying from the UK. Uh, there's going to be a ton of ambitious pet business, pet care professionals there. Uh, There's going to be a ton of awesome speakers. And like I said, lots of of vendors and suppliers on the trade shows as well uh, for you to, you know, get new ideas for how you can enhance the experience in your facility. Now, I know there's a lot of listeners who are subscribers to the Pet Boarding and Daycare magazine. Maybe you've bought some products from the store in the past. But for whatever reason, you've never got round to attending one of the expos. So to wet your whistle and get you excited and spur you to take that leap and grab a ticket to an upcoming uh, pet boarding and daycare expo, I thought it would be really interesting to hear from James Severs, who is the Director of Marketing and Client Relations at Barclay Productions, so he could tell us a bit more about uh, how the expos have grown over the years and the type of things you can expect to see and experience whilst you're there. I suppose my, my, my biggest role is you know, going out and finding new vendors who really should be a part of our shows, finding advertisers you know, that benefit from being in our publications um, and just kind of pulling the whole thing together. I mean, ultimately, we're a big matchmaker anyways. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's the publications where you know, we're leading with content so it's, you know, good solid article and I'll find writers and contributors in that sense you know pull them in with advertisers and then also help promote you know the publication you know to the end consumer I mean to our readership and so really that exact recipe you know we apply to shows as well it's, it's really the same formula yeah yeah and it's a hell of an operation you've got now isn't it indeed you know? yeah yeah how many shows do you do a year you know so we're doing 10 annual shows um, across the US um, 
you know, COVID kind of threw us for a loop, as yeah. it did everyone. And uh, really, we, we, well, like everyone, we found a new avenue, um, you know, and that would be online shows. Mm. Um, never even heard of Zoom, of course, before, <laughs> before that nightmare. But it's neat because we've been able to, like, we've really experienced growth. We've brought people into the fold who would never have ventured out of their comfort level to a show, you know, but they would do a show, you know, yeah, via yeah. Zoom. And now those guys are hooked and they love it. And so they're coming out, you know, to the real deal. And uh, so that's good. Fantastic. And uh, I guess it's enabled you to reach beyond the borders of uh, sizable market, the U.S. and Canada. But we talked yesterday, you picked up some, you got a few U.K. people who in, are... Indeed. Thinking. So that's sort of a separate conversation, but yeah, so we've really been primarily a print publication. Um, you know, they say print is dying, and that's that's exactly opposite when you talk about <laughs> very specific, you know, conversations. It's great to hear you say that, because I'm a huge advocate of oh, paper and ink. Yeah. Print is fantastic. Um, you know, it just literally, you know, I hate the word niche, but, you know, in these niche markets, um, print is still king. It is a very, very powerful tool. Um, you know, it's not once and done. It's, you know, they keep them. Mm. So I've, mm. I've talked to, you know, groomers and pet boarding facilities. They have years worth of them. Mm. And they and they use our publications as resources, you mm -hmm. know. Um, you know, they have these new high school kids that roll in. Yep. And they have uh, little tabs marked throughout a bunch of, bunch of issues. And they say, I need you to read these 12 articles mm. uh, overnight. And so they use it as a resource. Um, but anyway, so for, for this year... Um, we love our print. We're not trying to get away from print, but we really wanted to, to do better <coughs> online. And so we, um, we we hired a company to do a, a premium digital online version of our, of our magazines that is truly, truly an online publication. Mm. It's not like some flip thing where you just, yeah. you know, yeah. PDFs. It's a quality. It's print. beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and it's neat. So to me, that's its own entity. And because of that, you know, it's a lot easier to, to share that abroad than yeah. it would be, you know. Uh, mailing a mm. physical copy so mm -hmm. so yeah so we're, we're kind of like full speed ahead on both the digital platform and then also print yeah perfect. But, but because of that we have like you said we have gained a tremendous amount of readership um, abroad yeah I'll just pick up on James's comment about being a, a matchmaker I attended my first pet boarding and daycare expo in Vegas earlier this year and you know these events they 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 do serve as an opportunity for you to do some kind of business speed dating where you can get to know uh, a lot of other pet business facility owners who are doing a similar kind of business to yours. Maybe they're doing things a little bit kind of differently. You get to hear from expert speakers and there's the trade show running too. So if you haven't grabbed a ticket yet, uh, the event is happening in Hershey, Pennsylvania from November 6th to November 9th. And you can go to PetBoardingExpo.com to grab your ticket now. Okay, that's it for this week's show. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about pet care pricing models. And specifically, how to make more profit from your pet care business without raising prices. How is this possible? You'll find out next week. I'd like to give a big thanks to Amy Hillis, to Alison Jacobs, and to James Severs uh, for telling us more about uh, the Barclay machine and how it works and how you can benefit as a facility owner. And we'll see you next week.